Super K. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Johnny Jungle Guts. And I'm Professor Extra. Our very last episode. Yeah, this is the grand finale. The finale of Super Gay after, I think, about four years. We are ending on our 50th episode. Yep. Many comics that we've talked about on the show did not make it 50 issues in, so we're feeling good about 50 episodes of this podcast. I'm proud. But uh, before we reflect on all that, we actually do have two characters to talk about today and how Marvel Pride, Marvel is releasing Pride comics. Am I correct? Yes. Um, Marvel and DC both have June Pride uh, issues that are anthologies. And I guess it's Marvel Voices, which you know has done a few different kinds of collections of young and up-and-coming writers of color, etc. And so... Uh, now they're doing the gay one, and it's in June, and I feel um, super excited uh, to see how how that plays out. All these characters being celebrated that we've been talking about on this podcast the whole time. Um, so that's exciting, and uh, and I and I feel like it, you know we we accomplished the goal if we had any at all, which was to just sort of um, <laughs> clarify that we were interested in these kind of characters. We certainly did. <laughs> and I mean, when we started the show, uh, I think part of the reason we started the show even was because they had there had been a number of books at Marvel with queer characters, and they all kind of got canceled all at once. Iceman, Miss mm-hmm. Marvel, that Generation X book that had a uh, twink romance in it. <laughs> yeah. um, and so we were feeling not great about queer representation in comics. And uh, I feel like in the last four or five years, a lot has actually changed. We've talked now, I think, about all the characters we really wanted to talk about. Are there a few honorable mentions? Well, honestly, I would be happy to talk about Carolina Dean a little bit more yes, okay. and that's, give her that's a, a whole thing. Because she's pretty amazing and wonderful. And I don't know what happened with her exactly. We... We talked about Zavin and and her relationship, but then I feel like she deserves her whole own. That's true. Yeah, you know, she could have gotten a whole episode. So I think we should do a, a Christmas special two years from now about her. Okay. Super K. Send that out into the you know, there. and then that'll be the Super K uh, uh, Christmas special. There you go. Carolina Dean edition. <laughs> well, and she Nico. looks kind of like a Christmas tree. Yeah, no, to me, she's a sort of Christmas She looks angel. like Christmas lights. She's like Christmas tinsel streaking yeah. across the... That's the... right. So we love her, and, you know, I just want to tell everybody that um, I miss her, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, the only ca- the only character, honestly, that's coming to my mind is Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. who I <laughs> almost, you know, I bet on certain episodes of this podcast really was against this concept of her being uh, queer. Mm-hmm. And I might still be, but I just like Kitty Pride so much, I would love to do a whole episode about Kitty Pride. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, I like her Ileana weirdness, and Ileana would be a good one to do a, a, a thing with, especially if we could... We were supposed to do one with Jennifer Moon. 
That's Emiliano true. Episode. We never did so that. So we could Jennifer do that for Halloween episode. five years from now. Yeah. A Halloween mm-hmm. special five years from now. Moon, yeah. So with the Pride thing, um, Phil Jimenez has done a bunch of variant covers of all these different characters, including America Chavez, who currently has her own book, which is great. It's like yeah. it's a new relaunch and it's probably the easiest to follow of any America Chavez story I've ever seen. So that's really yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. And it includes, you know, her family and New York and all of these um, more earthbound um, kinds of issues um, and kind of maybe even explains away the uh, utopian parallel as a conspiracy theory that was implanted in her brain. So there's a lot going on, but it sounds, but it's been, it's been fun. She's included on the covers. Um, Do you know who's writing that book or drawing that book? So this is called America Chavez made in the USA by Kalinda Vasquez, writer, Carlos Gomez, artist, Jesus Arbatov, the color artist, and VC's Travis Lanham on letters. Um, and it has a lot of uh, pretty good letters because it's um, basically decently written. And look how gorgeous it is. That's her, her, supposed to be her sister. Oh, cute. She has a sister now? Yeah. It's really well drawn. It's beautiful, right? You know what I'm saying? Totally. So Luciano Vecchio and Steve Orlando have teamed up to create a character named Somnus. And Somnus, or I believe this is Somnus, S-O-M-N-U-S. How would you say that? I would say it's Somnus. Somnus. Okay, so Somnus is premiering in Marvel Voices. That's what Somnus looks like. Oh, yes. It's, he, what? Oh, he's he very, like or he's, he looks like he's related to Longshot to me. <laughs> Weird. Okay. I don't see it, but really? Oh, like, well, like also, related to Shatterstar. That's probably who more I mean. Yeah. Shatterstar. But he has a kind of, I mean, it's beautiful, I think, but he's kind of deco ish. You yeah, know. he's got he's got the Donna Troy chess piece going. I think. Sure. Yeah, and then this incredible emblem, which I guess he's an X person because there's a little X on him, so he's a mutant. He's probably a mutant. And apparently, he has he's a secret backstory character who's always been around, um, who had a profound effect on some character in the past, and now is going to be reintroduced. Oh. Because he couldn't follow his dreams in his lifetime, but. Now he has a second chance. Somnus couldn't. Somnus. Okay. And, you, you know, this is the thing. So Steve Orlando and Luciano Vecchio are two yes. of the only professionals of, mm-hmm. in the field who we interviewed. because That's Just because we were interested in their work. That's true. We were never very commercially minded in our thinking, but we were interested in particular people, so we would reach out. And that was a great conversation with both of them. And um, now they're working together, and this beautiful character emerges, this gorgeous little mutant that I... I think it's cool. <laughs> yes. Super K. You know, not to spoil the mood, but I was a little sad because the Dream Team comic book that I loved, X Factor, starring North Star with his sister, with Prodigy and um, Dokken and yes. all those uh, queers. Did it last? It's been canceled. After how many issues? I think it's getting to 10. 10, okay. Not even 12. So that's Not a rough feeling. 12, yeah. But I will say that the X-Men, the X-Factor book was fun. I enjoyed it. And I was depressed when I read in the very last issue um, to be concluded at the Hellfire Gala. Or Gala. Gala? How would you say that? The Hellfire Gala? Gala. 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 I usually try to say Gala. The Hellfire Gala. Um, the Hellfire Gala. Anyway, the Hellfire Gala is happening. And do you know about that? There's a crossover of all the X-Books at a um, gala that is sort of modeled off the Met Gala. And Emma Frost is like Anna Winter, right? So it's kind of perfect. So 
that's what's going on. And so all the X-Men have to have um, these gorgeous costumes that are designed uh, by uh, different artists from different books um, who then all have to draw them, you know. And there's even these sort of um, like kind of fake Vogue covers with Storm and Jean Grey and all of them. Love that. But um, yeah, there's an interview with Emma Frost in this amazing thing called the the Hellfire uh, Trading Company official guide for, oh, to the Hellfire great. Gala, and yeah. it's free on Marvel's website if anybody wants it. But this basically is just all the fashion designed by different artists like Russell Dowderman, who I think is an amazing artist. He's been doing these beautiful covers where he has these collages of all the ex-women and all of their costumes on top of each other. Have you seen those? Yes, I have, yeah. They're incredible. So anyway, he designed some of the best ones, um, including, I think, uh, Emma Frost's amazing uh, three outfits. And one of the things about these uh, fashions is they, some, they often implement in the uh, execution of the outfit the use of their powers. So Emma Frost in her diamond form of is course. gorgeous with her hair slicked back sure. um, wearing a uh, beaded curtain dress. Yes, and she's wearing a feathery fur that has the recalls the classic X-shaped boob window from New X-Men. Mm-hmm. Frank Whiteley. Yep. And a suit-like one with a fascinator. And fascinators seem to be um, part of the whole Hellfire Gala look. But the others, you know, I mean, I don't know. In this group, uh, the I feel like the rogue one is actually pretty nice. Uh, yeah, I think that in a way... Kind of makes me like her again. <laughs> I don't know if it's appropriate for a gala. What do you think about... Well, what do you think about Rachel Summers? Well, great, yeah. Love mm-hmm. it. Yes. Lots of spikes, even more spikes than normal. Boob spikes, nipple spikes. Bo- nipple spikes. She's got her um, mm. war dog or whatever those are called with her. What are those called? Um, the little silvery dog animals that Mojo or whoever sends from the future. Yeah, and stuff. what are they called? Who cares? Uh, Angel's not wearing a shirt. Angel's definitely really channeling when a man tries to take risks at the Met Gala. <laughs> yeah. Storm is great because she is using her powers to complete her outfit. So she has a storm cloud that with lightning that she wears kind of as a shawl. Uh, yeah. And then her hair is like nice billowy clouds. Yeah. And she's, you know, and of course she always looks good with jewelry, but she's keeping to a very um, classic storm silhouette. Yeah. Um, fascinator instead of, um, you know, headdress. I don't like Kitty Pride's outfit. Yeah. I don't like it. Jean? It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, but everybody's dying for Sink, who is the reintroduced Gen X character who everybody's happy about. Sink. And this is his beautiful outfit that he's wearing to the gala. And there's, and that jacket kind of incorporates his powers, right? Yeah, that's what his powers look like. What are his powers? You can sync up with anybody else's powers and like, you know. But there's like a rainbow that happens when he does it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember that. Yeah. He's yeah. like a real like uh, bringer together. Love it. <laughs> yeah. This is really great, actually. The best one is. This is almost my favorite of all of them. I even think everybody feels that way. Not, it's it seems very off character. And in what is some it? Ways. You haven't said it yet. Colossus. Colossus. It's Colossus's outfit, which Colossus. is really sexy. Yeah, Colossus is really sexy. He has a beard, which is really always helpful for him. And then he's wearing these kind of velvet stretch pants with a sort of see-through uh, black shirt that has a collar. Um, and and then he has a fur, um, you know, trimmed cloak. And he also has, alternatively, this uh, 
kind of Russian fur hat that you can wear right. with it. Right, but which is so glamorous also. Oh, wow, um, there are really a lot. Like, this is just going to be the whole it episode. Goes, no, I know. We can't go any further than this, but <sighs> this is uh, X Factor, the team that is going away. And um, with the exception, I mean, I don't actually think North Star's outfit's that great, um, but I like Polaris's little dress. It, it you know, Aurora tried, um, but actually Prodigy... Um, looks great. Prodigy, that's a that's a big that's a big moment, yeah. And um, iBoy. I don't understand why the feet are wrapped like that, but other than that, I love both of these Prodigy and iBoy. Yeah, they're beautiful looks that yeah. we're looking at here. Yeah, is is douching. <laughs> Dawkin is a douche. Yeah, he's he he wearing really like a bad. suit with his. He um, looks, he looks really man bad. bun, and then he's got his tattoo on his suit. And then North Star and Kyle. I mean, it's kind of cute that they tried. But I'm not super feeling the North Star because it just looks like a weird alien prince. It just looks like Michael Jackson to me. It's a weird alien prince. And then Kyle's is kind of cute. He's... Yeah, Kyle's is less bad. Kyle Janadu. Yeah, Kyle did did good. And then, you know, Aurora and... and uh... But so that everybody has to get, you know, everybody has to go to this thing. And that's the... So, there's, so you know, they give it and they take it away. They canceled X Factor, but they gave us the Hellfire Gala. The Hellfire Gala, which will go down in history, I'm sure, in almost the way the Marvel Swimsuit yeah. edition did. Yeah. Super K! So, well, the char- two characters we're supposed to talk about today are D-Man mm-hmm. and Dazzler. And the reason we're talking about D-Man is because I didn't even know D-Man was a queer character until I saw him in the Luciano Vecchio um, page he did for Marvel Voices, including a lot of the oh, yeah. characters. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Mm. Which we just talked about. Thank you again, Luciano that's, Vecchio. That's an example of one of the characters I didn't know was gay. Or, in some cases, I didn't even know who they were. But anyway... That's what made me want to talk about him. Um, but I'd always, as soon as I saw that he was included, I was really tickled by that because I remembered him as a character from, a, you know, a real backgroundy type character from Kurt Busiek's Avengers. He has done his Avengers time certainly, and I what I remember about him is that they he smelled bad. That was like the only thing I remembered about him. So then to make him gay seemed so uh counterintuitive almost insulting but then also really great to me so so let's get into his backstory a little bit he has been around for a long time um coming up on 40 years i guess uh he first appeared in the thing number 28 in 1985, by Mark Carlin, uh, with Ron Wilson on breakdowns and Brett Breeding on finishes. Um, and a couple things I wanted to point out right away from this issue. It starts off with the thing trying to to have a career as a motorcycle stuntman. <laughs> And then very quickly realizing that he should not do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but when the thing is in his motorcycle stuntman outfit, they really show you that he has like a butt crack um, through True. his little uh, uh, white underpants on the outside that he's got here. I think in general, this thing is kind of hotter than usual. He's yeah. his solo book. He's not the monster guy in the team. Uh, so much as the the hero, you sure. know, and uh, they've made his, they kind of smoothed out his rocks and his uh, physique is definitely um, like hunky. He's, yeah. He's thick. Yeah. It's funny when they draw the thing wearing 
clothes, they never take into account that his skin is probably not smooth. <laughs> like that the clothes should be I think be they're sort just relieved rigged. that they yeah. can ignore that for that yeah, panel I mean, so they can get through this Who could imagine page? having to draw that? Right. Pay, you, know, draw, you know, that's almost, that's just too much. It's um, a virtuosic Kirby design that cannot be drawn by other people easily. No, no. Um, but it's it looks good here. It looks great. Uh, but the one thing I want to point out about this whole moment is there's a lot it's of very sexually attractive times when people are taking showers. <laughs> yeah, is a recur. You know, hitting the showers is a recurring trope in mm-hmm. D-Man's whole life. Who's so is the blonde guy D-Man? The no, that's guy another is not guy. D-Man. He's one of the stuntmans that um, was with the thing, and he's. Right. Just having a little dialogue. So the about- thing is that this is the thing uh, in his post uh, Fantastic Four moment, just having jobs and stuff like that. Not yeah, being he's a, trying to trying figure not to out be his superhero. life without the Fantastic Four. So first he tries to do motorcycle stunt riding in a team. That's called, right. Like Team America? Team America? Might as well be. Okay, yeah. some group like that. And yeah. then that doesn't work out, but not not before they have a shower scene where they like shake hands. That's right. Okay. So then he goes, and the next thing we know, we're meeting this guy with a mohawk who can like lift really heavy stuff who's auditioning to be a wrestler, and, and that is uh, D-Man. That's D-Man. That's Demolition Dunphy is how he's introduced. Uh, Dennis Dunphy is his name, and they don't really explain where he gets his strength from, but they are quick to point out an internal m- monologue where you know everyone's really impressed with his lifting, but inside he's saying... I did it. It almost killed me, but I did it. So you're kind of right away sort of getting a little insight into this idea that maybe he's not the best of the best. You know what I mean? Right. That's 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 what I feel like is that's the germ of that, which right. is going to come up a lot for this character. Right. He's almost good. Yeah. And so basically we get into this whole storyline where the – Wrestling promoter wants Demolition Dunphy to throw the match, but he won't do it. Then the thing overhears them. Then the thing r- wins anyway in the fight. So uh, you you know that he's a good guy, even though he's in this sort of CD setting. Mm. Um, and also, you know, there's just when they all get um, uh, hired for the. Um, for the wrestling league, which is called UCWF unlimited class wrestling federation, which is like the idea is it's like a superhero wrestling league. So we fast forward quite a bit. Um, to another shower scene with another, to another shower scene. I mean, it's, wrestling already. Now that's already an interest of yours. If I'm not mistaken, you're not entirely mistaken. No. And one thing that fascinates me about the United, uh, the unlimited class, uh, wrestling federation is that as you see it in different places, in different arcs of D man's life, some, it, it oscillates between being, um, real wrestling and, uh, you know, staged or scripted wrestling, um, or not real wrestling, but wrestling where the winner is not determined, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that's funny that, that that was like, you know, that was never really hammered down by any of the writers, you know, in this, it's very important that in, you know, in his first appearance, it's, you know, throw the match, we're paying you to throw the match. But in the second one with Captain America, 
you see him teaching people how to liven up their um, performances as if it's, you know, a more WWF style wrestling, right. which is how it visually looks. Right. So Captain America is doing some research on uh, some criminal activity, uh, which leads him to um, the wrestling place again. And, uh, of course, they don't believe he's Captain America, so they get into this whole wrestling match with him, of course, all the wrestlers. And then... But why does Captain America have to wrestle people? He doesn't. Why is he there? He is there because he's looking for um, a guy who was affiliated with them, who is now his sort of arch nemesis, who is this... uh, Captain America knockoff who's like pretty right wing and is like secretly um, like hiring people to stage fights to make him look better, but is also stronger and a better fighter than Captain America and has at this point bested Captain America in a fight. So Captain America is feeling um, inefficient. So he's trying to get more information or figure out where he can find this guy now. And this is one of his leads is to go to the okay, wrestling. So, so the, okay. So they were back. So this last time we saw this, this was in the thing. Now this guy is back with this wrestling lead. He's still wrestling. He's still wrestling, but he's kind of more of a mentor type. But so he and Cap have a shower scene together. Well, this is what happens. All the wrestlers do not believe that Captain America is Captain America. So they all start fighting him until Demolition Dumphy shows up and is like, all right, Boys and girls, cool your jets. Uh-huh. Uh, well, you don't need to fight this guy. Because they get mad at him for saying he's Captain America when he's not. Oh, right. Um, which but is he stupid. Is. But yes, he is. But they couldn't believe that Captain America would ever show up to this location. Okay. So, so then Demolition Dumpy says, uh, Say, can I scrounge up a spare towel if you want to rinse off the sweat those meatheads made you work up. He's like offering a shower to him, to Captain America. And Captain America says, all right. And he says, he thinks to himself, Demo's quite a likable guy. I can see why he and Ben hit it off, talking about the thing. Mm. Um, and suddenly, he, Demolition Dumphy also in a towel. He's right. also going to be and, bathing right. with Captain America, and then his, you know, he's got he's got a redheaded mohawk. Captain America's blonde. This is the thing, and then we see that he was a redheaded uh, in a flashback. Dan Militian Dunphy was a redheaded football player. Uh, That's right, popular football player. He was a popular football player who went to the Power Broker, who's an entity in Marvel Comics who grants superpowers to um, people. <laughs> and received a treatment of superhuman strength, which could have killed him, of course. It could have always could have killed him. But, of course, mm. he survived. Mm. And g- gained super strength and durability. And then, however, he was too strong to play football because every time he would punt the football, it would break into a million pieces. So then he has to go to the wrestling. And we slowly discover over time that this is actually just like a funnel that the power broker and this wrestling federation have created where they give people super strength and then they have realized there's no way for them to really utilize it and so they're like here you can join this wrestling league mm-hmm. but they also give them these pills that are supposed to stabilize them after the treatment but it just gets them addicted to the pills and so they all become drug addicts and um including poor demolition dumpy but when he realizes that he um everything what's going on he goes cold turkey 
on the pills. Uh, but it keeps his powers. Cause but he does get to keep his powers because the pills actually were just, uh, just yeah. uh, you know, uh, yeah. not really what they were supposed to be. Right. Or maybe they were, but he kept his powers and he, yeah. w- and he kicked the addiction. So that's where all – that's his backstory. Okay. And that's a big plot theme that mm-hmm. you are going to get throughout um, – this is the same story. And so he's telling this story while they're having this shower yes. sequence, which is extremely... Can we just do a call out for what this issue is, what number it is, so that the um, listeners can just uh, yes, open you, it up right you now? you certainly can. It's Captain America number 328. Uh, two years later in 1987, it's written by Mark Grenwald with pencils by Paul Neary. The cover art is by Mike Zeck and John Beatty uh, and also features D-Man. And... Um, uh, these are all I don't names even know that what to I say recognize. because there's this like you know scene where his she's handing the towel to uh, Steve, Steve, yeah. and um, his he's holding the towel in front of himself in such a way so that the whole side of his body and like I guess his butt is out, right? Uh, well, yeah, you don't see he don't see his butt, but no, but you, you see, see like, his whole leg. Yeah, so you kind of know and torso, and then he's handing the towel the towel to Steve. So Steve is like just naked right there. Of course, yeah, yeah, just talking it over in the showers. And yes, and he says, if I can kick a football so hard it explodes, imagine what would happen if I tackled a human being. Ironic, huh? So eventually, I went back to the broker, and his agents told me about the UCWF. Um, and then it's revealed that almost all the wrestlers have gotten this treatment from the power broker. So anyway, yeah, and then it shows he's kicked his addiction issue here. Oh, yeah, he has a, a whole, like, him and his kind of, like, red, you know, kind of T-shirt costume, which is cute, with mm-hmm. yellow boots. He's uh, huddled he's, in, like, the He's in the fetal, fetal position, position by the toilet, so you know yeah. he's been throwing up. With, um, with the thing nearby. Yeah, and the thing was helping him out. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Um... Some of this actually happened prior to this Captain America issue. Right, I love it. So then Demolition Dunphy is like um, basically saying, oh, how would I help you with this case? You know, he's trying to get in chummy chummy with Captain America. And Captain America agrees with him um, and... Uh, uh, Dunphy shows up to the first day of superheroism work and he shaved his head and he says uh, I look a bit different with my mohawk shaved off huh here you can be Captain America I can't read it from oh, here sorry. can you like make it bigger yes I can or I, I would believe I can yeah there's like a percentage up there maybe you can mm, full screen Where's the zoom on Google well, Docs? I think you just, um, if you go back to not full screen, whatever the previous this setting is. is. There. Uh, no, now I've really ruined it. Uh, I mean, I bet if you, yeah, let's click on it again. No. There oh. we are. Okay, oh. go to the top. Uh, 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 go past the, go keep going, like scroll all the way to the top. It's all the way at the top. Oh, that's it? Where's the actual... Press thing? escape to show controls. There okay, great. All right. Now, 100 is... It's at 100, so... Oh, there. This yeah. is all we need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Now I can see it. Great. So... Wait, wait. There's so many, like, naked blonde guys in this whole st- scenario. There's a lot. Yeah. Okay. So, um, there... Uh, Demolition Dunphy's getting in the car in the van with Cap, and he says... 
Right on, Cap. I look a bit different with my mohawk shaved off, huh? A bit. Well, I figured that what may be cool in the wrestling arena just didn't make it alongside you. Sides, it didn't go with my brand new superhero suit. Want to see it? Look, Demo, let's get this straight. I'm working with you on this job, but I'm not really in the market for a new regular partner. Sure, I can dig that, but I do need some sort of disguise. My face and costume are pretty well known in some circles. You're right. And you, Captain America looks so unhappy to be agreeing with with uh, Demolition Dumpy. He just looks miserable. And so this is, this is I think, another this sort of first <laughs> moment, another first moment that's really going to frame this character, which is that he's ki- he's a loser, you know? He's kind of a loser mm. in in some ways. Mm-hmm. Or that's how other people... He gets on other people's nerves is maybe a better Something, way of putting it. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I don't fully understand what the issue is. Yeah. But I, um, but I can see that he's not, he's not like doing things the right way. Yeah, he's a little overbearing. Obviously, too he, eager. It seems like he has a crush on Captain America to me, and he's just trying yeah. to. And, but it's, but then I always wonder about like what are they suggesting might have happened off panel or something? Because this whole like, I mean, I guess they're just friends, right? They certainly were not intentionally suggesting anything. Right. I don't think Mark Grunewald. But the way was. it was drawn. Oh, the way it was drawn. Whoever drew it delighted in these Captain yeah. America's shoulders with the liquid coming off the yeah. back is really nice. I'm really yeah. enjoying to see that. Yeah. So. Anyways, all right. Well, so then he's so he's kind of a queer coded, over eager, a little bit off uh, wannabe. Yeah, and I'm so glad he got rid of the mohawk at this juncture because mm. mohawks are a complicated fashion statement, as fair, I understand them. Fair, but yeah, um, but common in uh, in uh, superhero comics. Sure. Yeah. They also establish at some point in his backstory that he's redneck trash. Oh. So what I always think of when I see the Mohawk is like some horrible guy at a NASCAR right, rally right, who right, right. did his hair as a fan in some Mohawk colors or something. Right, 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 right. Or like was wearing a weird, really ugly Mohawk wig. I think the issue with the term with the hairstyle is not the actual hairstyle. It's the term. The, the term. Okay. There has to be another way to describe it. Like wife beater. That's not good to say anymore, huh? That's <laughs> fucking fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> I think we, it has to be something like, um, we got a cut. We, a uh, faux hawk, they also say, but that's just as bad. So anyway, crest? who cares? The crest. He's got a crest. He's like a cockatoo. I think that you would call it a crest. So anyway, they go on all these little adventures and different things happen. And later in the story arc, they, the, evil villain the uh maybe not the power broker but this other guy who maybe even created the power brokers equipment that created demolition dunphy captures demolition dunphy and tries to kill him by making his muscles so big that he will die it will cause him to have a heart attack and captain america manages to free him but he's so out of his mind from this treatment, of course, that they get in a big fight. And then he like has a seizure. And so then Captain America has to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Which was his plan all along. Which, let me tell you, they do this mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. I put wow. a page of it in here, but it goes on for four pages. Yeah, it, They're doing this mouth-to-mouth resuscitation almost like they do the part in Spider-Man where Spider-Man has to lift the water tower over his head. Mm-hmm. Steve Ditko, that incredible mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. where the entire comic is just that. It feels almost like that, this mm-hmm. mouth-to-mouth sequence mm-hmm. where he's kissing 
D-Man and he's doing it. And so that's all of that's happening. And then he basically after that becomes like a little bit a part of Captain America's retinue of people like the Falcon mm-hmm. and Nomad mm-hmm. and uh, maybe Diamondback or whatever that girl's name is. She's like a pink snake lady who hangs out with Captain America a lot. Um, anyway, the years go by and by and eventually and many things happen to him. He gets seemingly killed, then brought back to life. He gets uh, injured in a fight and gets brain damage and he can't talk anymore. And then he gets kidnapped by a bunch of homeless people uh, who call themselves the Zero People. When is this? This is in Captain America 418-1993, a full, uh, a full like, six, seven years later, af- mm-hmm. he's, been, he's been in this After Captain America resuscitation, book. Yeah. yeah, he's been in this Captain America book a long time, but these are, these are just the moments that I was And it's like in. a downward spiral. He goes through a lot. There are a lot of moments, though, where he proves himself... To be better than other people think he is. Like, there's a part where Captain America's um, van falls down a ravine. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do without this van? Uh, We can't get it out of that ravine. And he just, like, goes down there and, like, single-handedly, like, pushes it out of the ravine while, like, climbing up the ravine. And now they have a car again. Um, So, and they're all like, wow, he's so strong. But, um... But, you know, it's it's kind of a... But he's strong from drugs. And he's, strong from recovering from drugs. He's strong, yeah, mm-hmm, from these treatments. And and also the costume that he reveals, which I, of course, barely have pictured here, but is one of his most recurring costumes. Here it is. Is basically the Daredevil costume, the original yellow Daredevil costume, but it has Wolverine's um, headpiece. Exa- that's exactly what it is. And Captain America even says something like, uh, I think that costume's taken. And he's kind of just like, oh, I just love Daredevil. He's my favorite. So... Then he gets kidnapped by these zero people, these cave dwellers, because the leader of them has the ability to sap others' strength. And since D-Man has so much strength, he can sap D-Man's strength all the time and be strong and be in control. But also... He's he's an energy vampire. Yes, but also... So, wait, who's the artist on this one? That's a good question. Rick Nelvins was the penciler on this book. Hmm. And it's 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 very 90s. It's very nice. Um, But what's interesting about the zero people is really there's nothing more complicated them to them than the fact that one of them has this sort of superpower. Maybe a couple of them do. And they're all homeless. They're just homeless people. And where they used unhoused. That's right. Unhoused tenants. And so, right. So he and they live in the caves. Caves under New York City. Somehow, there's caves under New York City. But they're not the Morlocks. No, Hmm. they're the Zero People. He says we were not always cave dwellers like this, Brother D. Oh no, we used to have a whole block of condemned buildings on Zero Street to call home. Then the uptown people tore them down and put up high-rise apartment buildings we couldn't afford. They call it gentrification. I call it dispossession. The new residents of Zero Street had no use for us anymore. Doubt there's a street in the city where they treat panhandlers with more contempt. Uh, And so he led them to a new home. And so what's interesting about this to me is that D-Man is constantly being thought of as this gross, smelly guy throughout his life. But he has a lot of empathy for these 
people underground and also this idea that he's a redneck you know it sort this moment sort of starts to try, tie some class issues into into the way d-man is perceived and and it starts to seem almost a little classist in a way you know the way that people constantly are putting down on him and um so basically he manages to take out this this leader guy who sucks who actually does suck and become more or less the leader and helper uh, of the zero people much in the way storm became a helper for the morlocks but he did eventually end up fully like living with them um Mm-hmm. However, there's so he really drops out of society and becomes a zero person, kind of. But at some point, this sort of devolves to the point where he's starting to, you know, they've established that he's had a lot of experiences with brain damage. There was a time period where he was mute, which is common for a lot of athletes. Um, mm. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of, um, well, I don't even need to say his name, but this wrestler who WWE wrestler who got a lot of brain damage in the ring and subsequently uh, like murder suicided his entire family, like his wife and kids and himself and all that. So it's not an unheard of thing for the brain damage that wrestlers experience to uh, to um, uh, affect their lives in really negative ways or just for wrestling to affect people's lives in really negative ways. Notoriously, there was a incident where one of the Hart brothers was entering the ring. Uh, and the idea was he was like a bird or something. He had like a bird outfit and he was going to be lowered down. But of course they didn't uh, triple check the rigging and he fell to his death in front of an, a stadium full of people. Mm. And, after all of that, Vince McMahon demanded that the evening keep going, that they continue with more wrestling matches that night. So wrestling is a very dark world, and that's reflected, I think, a lot in this character. So anyway, he starts to lose his mind again. And so what am I looking at now? You this are is... looking at 2004, flash forward over 10 years, and this is the Pulse, eleven through thirteen, written by Brian Bendis with art by Michael Gatos. Are you familiar with this comic at all? No. It is a comic about people who work at the Daily Bugle, which is Spider-Man's newspaper place. Specifically, Ben Urich, who figures into a lot of Spider-Man stories, and is the nephew of one of the Green Goblins, but whatever, or the uncle of one of the Green Goblins, but whatever. Um, he. Um, is following a story about uh, a guy who looks like Daredevil who seems to be stopping robberies, but then after all is said and done, the jewelers discover that some of the uh, jewelry has actually gone missing. Mm. And so uh, Ben Yura concludes essentially that um d-man is stealing the jewels because he puts all the pieces together and he's like oh my god this guy used to be an avenger he's fallen so far da 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 we gotta help him and he goes down to find him and he finds out essentially that d-man has lost his mind and he thinks that every time he uh stops a robbery that it is a act of heroism which reveals an infinity gem to him, which is actually just uh, jewelry at the jewelry store. And so he's been taking the jewelry. So Ben manages to get the jewelry back. 
but D-Man's still living in the sewer in uh in his old old costume eating dog food eating no um <laughs> they talk uh, what D-Man eats is a very frequent topic of conversation and often it is hostess snack cakes pies oh wait 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 okay so anyway, this but so, his name is Dennis. Dennis Dunphy is his, is his name. Is real. So name. that explains kind of everything. He's a Dennis. He's a Dennis, which is kind of a hot thing, but it's often a fucked up situation too. Yes. Oh, he's he's eating spaghettios. Is what he's eating right. uh, raw, straight out of the can. Raw spaghetti. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can eat them straight out of the can. I know. Which is why I relate to him. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. And Brian Bendis is writing this, who is kind of like a different generation of writers than the ones he's had before. That's Mark, right. Mark Grunewald. And, yes. Um, so it becomes a little bit more of this, like, I don't even know how to explain it, but like... Human interest stories. Brian <laughs> Bendis loves a human interest story. Right, okay. So he's like a homeless uh, person, an unhoused... Uh, an or, unhoused superhero. Well, he's housed in the in the sewer. Um, so... So, yeah, okay. so essentially it all sort of is coming full circle here because Ben Yorick gets uh, Daredevil to come down and talk uh, Dennis into getting some treatment. And so this is a moment where, you know, D-Man gets to meet his hero and he's uh, now going to be maybe on the up and up. Um uh, and so once again, flat, let's flash forward another 10 years hmm. to Captain America, Sam Wilson, number 15 in 2016, written by Nick Spencer, uh, with art by Angel Unzueta Galarza. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And he is wrestling in a charity match to help a uh, homeless youth. So that, tying back into his history, mm-hmm. uh, and as he's getting ready and putting on his very original costume with a fake uh, mohawk um, and bald cap, his it is revealed, he says into the um, mirror, I'll be him and you can be his uh, boyfriend. <laughs> okay. I look like an idiot. Nonsense. I think you look great. Like a... Oh, God, this guy's crazy. All right. Nonsense. I think you look great. Like you haven't aged a day. That's because I haven't. I've aged years, a bunch of them. And with the whole body armor look, I've been able to let the midsection get a little soft. I blame all those delicious hostess fruit pies. And he kisses him on the cheek. So his boyfriend, it kind of looks like him, but like a little older mm-hmm. and a little more twinkier. I almost like wonder if it's like a boyfriend manager type situation. Right. And here's just, I included this image of what his actual costume was at that time, hmm. um, which was sort of like also a Wolverine pastiche, but with a lot more body, body armor. armor. Um, and pouches. And a lot of pouches, Rob Liefeld style. And now he has an orange beard more consistently and uh, orange uh, hair. And yeah, and a nice, uh, very well-kept orange mustache. Hmm. So he looks good. You have to put wax in your mustache to have it look like that so he's taking care of himself so what's he doing what's his like action situation well he was just helping out sam wilson for a time uh when sam wilson was captain america maybe he still is i'm not sure uh he once again became one of those tertiary or secondary captain america characters Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah and so basically throughout this 
whole thing. They're doing the charity match, but then, of course, some, like, criminals show up to steal the money. And then the two people who are fighting in the match, who actually hate each other in real life, but are both heroes, um, which is D-Man and this other guy whose name I'm forgetting, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they save the day. Okay. So so that's the that's that's the last we've really seen of D-Man. But but um yeah, so there you go. Any any thoughts? Anything else you want to say about this character? Um D-Man. D-Man's really interesting. I feel like if he didn't exist, you would have made him up. I don't know. He's sort of perfect for you. He's perfect for me. I would say and also it's funny because Catman also is a redhead kind of and those are the two But was he a wrestler? No, but I'm just saying those are the two characters that I queer characters in comics that I feel like I identify with the most. Mm -hmm. uh, so, do you think it requires hair color for people to truly identify with one another? Well, I don't match his hair; these hair colors. Oh, but see, to me, you seem like you kind of do. There's like see, a reddish, people do blondish. Say, in my beard, there is there is some red. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true, and especially you seem in like the somebody summer, who would have been a blonde child. I was. So there you go. So yeah, so D man, and you know, it's also just. Um, I, I think it's important to show gay people who are a, a little bit on the sloppier side, especially um, <laughs> gay men, wow. not not just because it, not just kidding. because it goes against a stereotype or a type, but it also I don't understand what you're saying. You don't understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> no, I mean keep going. Not only because it goes against a stereotype or a type, but because it also says something about. Um, resources for uh gay people throughout their lives and he's gone through a lot of things that gay people go through addiction body dysmorphia homelessness homelessness um and really even though he's you know he'll pop up in a panel in the avengers every once in a while to be the butt of a joke when you really look at his actions he's a pretty good guy you know and also he um he um he's a long he's on a long list of characters that are sort of being treated with a little more um care by current editorial sure that conscious of the kinds of um stereotypes that they kind of reaffirm or like negative portrayals you know that they don't necessarily have to like this guy always seems like he's depicted with some kind of empathy which is nice that's it's it's but true it may be that you've edited it so that that's the stuff that i'm seeing more I mean, I think where it's lacking in empathy maybe is in the never-ending sequences of uh, punishment that he goes under. You know, death. There, there are like multiple times that I'm not even. We haven't even talked about where he like fully dies and will then just show up again. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they'll try to kind of explain that later, or they will explain it, or you know, he'll his muscles will be so engorged that he'll lose his mind, or he'll you know, get hurt mm -hmm. and become a brain damage. So they, they're, they punished him relentlessly mm -hmm. just for, for plot lines back in the mm -hmm. day. But in a way, even though I think that's often a problem in queer representation, it's a part of what I like about this character because it does show, it, it does mirror a sort of queer experience for me, at mm -hmm. least in terms wow. of just going through it. Yeah, and then also he survives, comes back, and it's his name, Demolition Man. I mean, he's going to get demolished. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of another character, oh, he had... wins a he wins a um, pie eating contest at one point against like Captain America and the Thing or some like real superheroes and wins. So I, that's the last thing I'm going to say about it. Okay, sounds good. Um, congratulations, D Man. 
Oh, Alex cannot handle this type of character. There's no. nothing about him that appeals to Alex. <laughs> no, I like him. I like him. I like him. I think I would have liked to have read some of the issues where his muscles get engorged and he loses his mind. That yeah, seems well, fun. Yeah, I mean, but, but I get it. This is like his kind of queerest content. We, we were really trying to. I tried yeah. to get it down to six for you. Yeah, yeah, you did it. And I and and they were. I remember reading them and I enjoyed it. These were all kind of uh, corners of the Marvel universe that I don't usually. Yeah. yeah, it's weird because I think what a lot of de- the fact that so much has happened to this character while so few people know about him is sort of a testament to how unpopular Captain America was in the 90s versus the X-Men and maybe Spider-Man. Right. Um, you know, all those Avengers type characters in the 90s were and even kind of the 80s were just not of interest to people in the same way that they maybe had been. He does seem like a character that would do well in the current Marvel universe on the big and small screen like he could definitely fit into the mcu yeah because his superpowers are just the most generic super he's just strong and he's kind of connected to sort of those sort of serum things that they like to do oh yeah he's yeah he uh and then you know he's just like kind of a normal character that if an actor played him he'd have a lot of actually has a lot of material yeah because he's been through so many things yeah Yeah. make a d-man make it put d-man in captain america put him in captain america and the falcon or whatever that is yeah like have our actual gay have an actual gay old friend of uh, captain america sure instead of all this um implication hollow implication um that is a homo fascist tv show by the way if you ever want to know what i never never homo nationalist i never saw that program that's homo nationalism um all right so speaking of d Listed characters. Yeah. Another person who never got no respect, really, but 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 was popular in a certain kind of way is Dazzler. Was popular, I think, with creators almost. It was a concept that had legs for the creative team. It's true at Marvel, they had a lot of big ideas around Dazzler. Dazzler is a mutant superhero. She is a disco singer. She first appears in uh, X Men in the nineteen. 19- 80s early 80s it's during the phoenix saga it was i think 1980 yeah it was 1980 john byrne chris claremont terry austin in an arc that included the introduction not only of allison blair aka dazzler a disco singing mutant who can transmute sound into light that was her power um she is introduced so is Kitty Pride. So is emma frost it's a it was a you know it was it was a big couple of issues a big one. And um, she's offered leadership in the X-Men after fighting the Hellfire Club. Leadership? Membership. No, membership. Sorry, okay, did I say membership. leadership? You said leadership, yeah. She was offered membership in the X-Men after fighting with them against the Hellfire Club and said no. no. Also, there's a great sequence where Cyclops is like, have you ever wondered where your powers have come from? And she's just like, nope. nope. I don't care. No, nope. just living my life. It was a one balloon, one word. Nope. She says nope. Yeah. So that's cool. I mean, she's just very cool to me. So she's beautiful character that pops out and you know with a microphone in a club that Gene and Scott are going to to investigate. You yes. know the presence Jean of a is mutant. Disgusted by the thoughts of the disco <laughs> yeah. patrons, but she's allured by them also. Yeah, exactly. And Scott is just wearing like a turtleneck. You know, yeah, it's looking like, super so square. He's real square. He's like from the '60s, and everyone else is, you know, entering the that's '80s. A, that's a funny way to look at it. Yeah. And uh, and then Dazzler pops out with a microphone, and I was hooked. You know, so she, you know, she's also in a. She's introduced through a couple of different comics. That is her first appearance. Then she shows up in an Amazing Spider-Man. They're a good team. They they have good attitude, personality. You know, she's a disco singing superwoman who's often 
often dealing with like th- street thugs and stuff like that, you know, because she's like going around New York City with um uh disco ball roller skates sure. and she has kiss makeup and this, you know, iconic white sort of um John Travolta uh suit, superwoman suit, um, you know, and jewelry and um and long, long, big blonde hair. But she was not always of this sort of character. Right. She was uh, supposed to be played by Grace Jones in a movie that uh, Marvel was trying to make with Casablanca Records. But then uh, Grace Jones dropped out, Bo Derek was assigned to it, and then they tried to introduce the character as a kind of Bo Derek character. Um, John Romita Jr. designed the original character and also drew the art for the first couple of issues that came out in 1981. John Romita Jr. Um, John Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. And but are there drawings of the Grace Jones Dazzler in existence? Yeah, there is. There is a drawing of oh, it. Oh, that's great! <laughs> so I love um, that. I could find it on my phone. Um, so yeah, I mean, my very first encounter with Dazzler was also my very first encounter with the X Men, and it was through the format of video games. It was the six-player X Men arcade game uh, from the '90s that was. Uh, clearly based on the Pride of the X-Men, X-Men pilot that never led to a series, but, oh, wow, yeah, that's great. Um, it, who drew that? That's John Romita Jr. Yeah. Um, so John Romita Jr. drew the original character who um, was uh, based on Grace Jones and uh, therefore a black uh, woman character who had a face mask like uh, the like the well, Dazzler that we, yeah, we get. Yeah, same Dazzler makeup. Uh, yeah, but maybe more of a close-cropped kind of hair. Short hair, yeah, short hair, braided hair maybe. And Dazzler for me is uh, really, I always think about the amazing covers by Bill Sienkiewicz for all of, for, for Dazzler that, um, that really like kind of, uh, ended up becoming what I think of uh, sort of the character. At, oh, at yeah, her definitely kind of some of the most beautiful drawings yeah. of the character. Including the painted cover of Dazzler the Movie, which um, was a graphic novel that was put out by um, Marvel. By Marvel, And but it was based on the script to the film? The script of the film written by Jim Shooter, who had kind of mandated her presence in X-Men comics. So after, after the 70s sort of... And it was crazy because she was introduced in the 1980s as a disco singer, so she was already off because it was kind of ending. That's the thing I really remember is that, you know, and I think this is always true in comics. It's the fashion and everything. It's almost always 10 years old to me. Like when you say Scott Summers is from the 60s, yeah, he's kind of from the 60s, but he's also almost from the 50s, you know, in his personality. I mean, he's from 1963. Let's get real. That's when he gets introduced. So. No, I, I know, but you see what you see what I'm saying. I'm saying like yeah, aesthetically, oh, I see. because it's from the 1960s. He would be from 1953 by your math. I think it's partially because people <laughs> who draw comic books are total nerds with like no sense of fashion. Oh my god! So but didn't we just visit the Hellfire Gala? We and did, see and we did all of the amazing. We fashion. didn't love all of it, did we? Um, or I certainly didn't. Well, but- the thing is, it becomes timeless at a certain point. So oh, the thing absolutely. is, like, Dazzler was absolutely. heading against the iceberg of disco sucks. I'm absolutely. not, I'm not was- saying she's not timeless. I'm just, and I love all you comic book artists. I'm just saying that's my read of fashion and comics. Well, it's not, okay. So this is, this was also a marketing problem. They had devised this as some sort of um, scheme to do a crossover where a comic book character would also be introduced as a singing character in some, I don't know. I, I, 
I can't think of like the precedent exactly, but it's something like this is the era of, you know, Olivia Newton-John in Greece and um, Xanadu is about to oh, come out, Xanadu. which, which looks a lot Xanadu. like um, Dazzler because oh, she's a glowing blonde woman on roller, a, skates. On roller skates with a mid part. Um, disco. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is all part of the zeitgeist. And um, so they were trying to, you know, fit her into that. And that, that became dated really quickly, but then later becomes timeless, you know, because it's like such an iconic image. And and I think nothing is more iconic than the cover of Dazzler at number one by Bob Larkin from 1979, a painted cover of the beautiful Dazzler in a very realistic rendering in the sense of lots of modeling of her curves and her costumes, yeah. folds and her hair. And then sparkles everywhere, disco sparkles. Um, her, her name is in disco, uh, diamonds yeah and then in these circles surrounding her are these sort of portrait paintings of four characters would you like to talk to me about who they are yes we are looking at nightcrawler um looking very uh sort of handsome and square-jawed uh enchantress uh the thor entity Iron Man looking very angry, very upset <laughs> um, through his mask. And then Spider-Man looking great. And and there's just a, just a slight subtleness to the way they've done the shading on Spider-Man because it is a painting that lets you feel... To me, it feels like he's really wearing pieces of fabric, right. which even when I'm watching a Spider-Man film, I feel like he's just wearing CGI. Right. So right, right, right. So it's great. So the 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 this we're just going to talk about the first issue. I mean, Dazzler does a bunch of things, and I think one you know throughout her run from you know first appearing in 1980 to, to the present, uh, she's currently singing um, still, but in a lounge act in on Krakoa, you know, in the current continuity, as well as a kind of. She did like a concert in Mojo World the other day, you know, things like that. It's not not nothing to write home about, but she's still working. The funniest thing about Dazzler, she seems almost like one of those cult hit musicians because mm-hmm. she when you when it's her storyline, it seems like she's always a little bit struggling with her music career, right? <laughs> but Often. then when you're reading any comic book and mm-hmm. they want to show someone wearing a a band t-shirt mm-hmm. or uh, a poster maybe in their room, they're going to do Dazzler at exactly. Marvel because she's sort of the most famous musician in the Marvel universe yeah. in terms of yeah. to to the readers, let's say. I mean, there's two. It's Dazzler and Lila Cheney. Well, oh, Ly- well, yeah. Well. And Lila Cheney is a deeper cut and more of an X-Men oh, yeah. narrative. Definitely not But they've Dazzlers. played together in bands and I, they're both I, mutant superstars. I know that, yeah. And Lila, I guess, is supposedly a little bit more successful consistently. Oh, yeah. Then, then Dazzler's been, who's had lots of ups and downs, but she's really definitely a, a kind of Gen Z icon. They really like her. Yeah, like I remember an issue, it was like a, some kind of X-Men one-shot where Dazzler was playing shows, and like there's always a lot of scenes, like gear, you know, the fight always happens when they're loading up the gear in mm-hmm, the alley. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking like, God, like Dazzler still has to like load her own gear like all these years in her career. But that's the thing, it's, it's really very dependent on how she's depicted issue to issue. But one thing that's great about reading these early ones is that she, it just is the story of her attempt you right. know, to become a superstar the first time through and, and her struggle with having to be a superhero all the time because her gigs keep getting canceled because 
of some shenanigans from the Marvel Universe. Right. You know, including right. Galactus, who, who completely screws up one of her biggest gigs. She's just about to go on stage. They've been working forever for this with her band. In this book? Yeah, in this book. And then he comes in and just basically grabs her, goes to outer space, and is like, oh, you have to have the power cosmic oh, for no. a temporary oh, you know, no. heraldry job. Oh, and now I need you to go to the negative zone and get Terax out. You know, and she's like, man, this is a real bummer. You know, she's wonderful because she's always kind of playing it off and a little bit just like bummed, man, because she's a musician, even though we also know from the very first issue in a flashback that she's also could have gone to law school. No, I she I thought she graduated. Oh, oh, no, she graduated pre -law, pre law. And then, yeah, summa cum laude. She yeah, she was a star student. But her, she told her dad, who wanted her desperately to be a lawyer, that she wanted to be a singer. And we know this because she also first manifested her powers at a talent show in her school. I think it was junior high, but it might have been high school, when she's singing and she starts sparkling. But then the uh, talent show is interrupted by a gang who attack everybody and punch the, the principal. So then she has to blind everyone, but they say that it was a malfunction of the lights. Right. And she's sitting in a paddy wagon after yeah, the riot. Yeah, all the blind people. Everyone's been blinded, so they're all wearing blindfolds. You know, and so that's how she her powers manifest, that's which is right. a great, like, that, it, you need that kind of level of intro to be a really great superhero. It really is good. And the thing about it that was so great is I, when I was reading that, I realized for as much as I've thought about Dazzler, I never knew anything about her life before she starts her singing career really yeah, yeah, yeah i couldn't place i couldn't have told you a thing about her so that was great to see that well kitty is introduced you know in that x-men arc through her parents right emma we just know is a villain from the hellfire club so we're not going to learn a lot about her until much much later but you know that she her context is some kind of wealthy evil attitude right problem dazzler just shows up as a singer at a club and like anything can lead to that moment you know we don't totally know we know yeah. she's kind of street smart we know that she's a little bit like wow man this is a real trip hanging out with the oh yeah that, that, yeah she, that that's actually a real hallmark of her attitude she'd just be like this is pretty wild <laughs> yeah. All, everything's going on right now is pretty over the top yeah but she but she's keeping her cool yeah. she's like she's along for the ride um yeah, yeah. she's a because she's a show person you know and she's a disco singer so she's got to be sort of tough so there's two things from this issue that i just want to speak on really quickly yeah. and then you can fully just take over but the first is there's a moment where someone describes her as she's walking around as looking like she's almost shimmering as she's just walking mm -hmm. and i thought that was so beautiful because even though that's almost impossible to render in a comic book that is just color and black lines um it 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 gives you a way of imagining the Dazzler every time you see her forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Someone in the audience whispers, Blair's a fox. She almost seems to sparkle while she's dancing. Yeah. And then the other moment that I was fascinated by is she deals with a bunch of, um, uh, you know, uh, robbers in an alley. And um, she says, she plays her mu uh, music off of a boombox. <laughs> and she says... Um, she says it's more like a tape recorder. <laughs> oh, right, it's a little tape recorder, and she says, "Ap like after her tape recorder stops, she says I can tap other forms of sound, but music is easiest with its controlled rhythm." 
So I just thought that was so interesting. That okay, so that's the Marvel like explanation section. So and you find it interesting that a controlled rhythm is easier to make lights out of. So it's like a, like a rave or something like that. Yeah, basically, it's just interesting to me. I just never heard that facet of her powers expressed, right, right. and so I thought that you know, like the ways different sounds might affect the light she would make. That was just interesting to me. Absolutely. Um, you also, you kind of neglected to read the other part of this dialogue where she says, oh boy, no radio, no lights. Uh-oh, better get shaken or it's my last dance. So, so that she also always says that kind of stuff, which is great. Like yeah. that's how she frames everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Better get shaken or that's it's right. my last dance. That's right. Um, so she has that kind of Spider-Man like like zingy. There, that's why when you were saying they're a good team together, I was thinking it was because he, Spider-Man is kind of a comedian. He likes to joke around, and so she's a good match for him because she's kind of laid back too. Um. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's a beautiful panel where he's swinging away into the sky, and she's in her full costume with her little sparkles on her bracelet and her and disco purse. ball necklace she and her purse. A, she's one of the few superheroes with a purse. Because she has her tape recorder in the purse. Yeah. So he says, hang in there, sweetheart. You have talent. All you need is time. So true. She needs a lot of time. Actually, I don't know if time helps Allison Blair so much, but she has she has definitely persisted. You know, She's still with us. And, and that period that you were talking about that with the game is from, that's her, her Australian incarnation when she was part of the Outback X-Men, which were the most um, kind of notoriously weird group of X-Men who lived in the Australian Outback that's in right. the uh, late 80s. And yeah. she was with Longshot, who she has a child with. Yeah, that's a longstanding relationship, Sh- her major life relationship. And her, fa- her son, his father... Their son is Shatterstar, who is also a um, popular sort of Dazzler-esque uh, character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, she has a lot of legacies, um, is what I'm trying to say. Um, in, this, uh, in this issue, one of the things that um, stood out for me was uh, the conversation she has with Aurora, um Love it. On the uh, phone. She calls the X-Men after, you know, kind of confronting the fact that even though singing is her one ambition, her only real ambition, she um, she's a mutant and she may have to, you know, be a superhero at some point. She might have to do it. So she calls the X-Men, who are in the midst of a real uh, danger room session. Yes. Uh, you know, clearly one of the w- ways they were hoping to entice people into buying this issue was this extended danger room sequence with all the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um, who were, were, of course, probably the hottest thing in comics at that time. Right. So it's a couple pages, you know, and there's a real charming, um, there's about, there's, you know, four or so pages. None of this adds up to any real plot for Allison. Absolutely nothing to do with Dazzler. No, but it gives you a sense of this shared world of the, of the Marvel universe, you know? Oh, yeah. And and you just know on a, on the average day, this is what the X-Men are doing. This is their school. There's a, there's a Spider-Man annual, like real early Spider-Man annual with Steve Ditko where, he literally just goes around and fights all of his villains with a different Marvel superhero, including I think at one point the X-Men and this issue is kind of like that. She's touching base with a lot of different parts of the Marvel universe. Exactly. Yeah. And so this is setting up, you know, her milieu and eventually she will be an X-Man, but for the time being she's resistant. Um, who wants to read who? Do you want to be Storm? No, you want to be Storm. Really? All right. Okay. Oh, okay. I'll be Storm. No, I'll be Storm. Well, Oh, cause you want to be Dazzler. Yeah, I kind of want to be Dazzler. Okay, so I'll be Storm. Allison, how nice to hear from you. Wait, that's your Storm? 
Allison. Oh, how? What did I do wrong? Allison. Nothing. Allison. <laughs> That's how I think. I I think of yeah. someone more like Allison. How yeah. nice to hear from you. Exactly. We haven't spoken since that Hellfire Club incident. Have you decided to reconsider our offer to join the X Men and give up singing? G- give up singing? Or uh, no, no. I could never give up my dream. I uh just called to see, um, what's happening. Not much, but we are in the middle of a practice session. Hold on while I switch phones. No, that's all right. Let me er uh, get back to you sometime. Sorry. And then she's so Allison, you know, is on her phone, which is a kind of uh, blue phone that matches her 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 bathrobe that she's in. While while Storm is on an emergency red phone, <laughs> um, and so that's why she's like, I have to switch phones. And then Allison puts the phone back and says, "Phew." When Storm asked if I was giving up singing, it really struck home. I guess I was feeling so low, I almost considered giving up. So really, Storm has her whole number here because as soon Mm. as she calls, Storm asks the exact thing that she called about. But of course, then she changes her mind. Yeah. Storm's great. She's she's always been the emotional leader of the (laughs) X-Men. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, this, the, the issue, as we mentioned, has those flashbacks and sort of introductions and then a a nemesis for Allison is introduced in the form of the enchantress, one of the many headdress wearing Marvel goddess types. Sure. And, uh, she's a bad lady from Asgard. Her name is Alora the Enchantress. She's often with this uh, guy named the Executioner. I can't remember. That's right. Yes. You know, and he also has a crest hairstyle i thought it was a tattoo on his head oh maybe that's what maybe that's what it is now that's how they updated it for modern times yeah carl urban plays him in the movie he feels like one of those very like gritty he's gritty uh yeah 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 and he has to like sacrifice himself and all that kind of stuff yeah Yeah. and they don't really have a laura the enchantress in that because oh yeah she's never in any of the store movies what a what a waste i know maybe she'll come later but anyway loki show you know she's all sexy and she hangs up by a fountain etc etc meanwhile a very hot beast i gotta say that ramita's beast is really cute and there's even a moment where you know of course the first thing we see is like his taint basically but, but there's a moment at the end there where he's um his butt is being shot by he's getting a little the wasp spanking from the wasp and uh he's really reaching his and grabbing onto his glutes yeah he's really pushing it all forward yeah it's kind of intense um but he uh finds that there is a singing contest a, 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 a singer certain singer was ill and now the disco boss seeks to replace this is literally the headline. <laughs> singer ill, disco That's box seeks it. replace. They yeah. just put it out in the New York Times. We got to get a new singer. So Allison is going to, you know, decides that she's going to go, thanks to the Beast, and this is a long-standing relationship. Those two also had a Marvel team up, Marvel um, miniseries in their romance, Beauty and the Beast, it was called. That already happened? No, it happens after this. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it I comes later. That. So that oh, was setting the seeds of something, which actually she and the Beast are a good match. They have a good personality match because they both have like weird sense of humor right. issues. Again, we got the Jokers. Yeah, but she had to really process dating the Beast and it didn't quite stick, you oh, know, boy. but I think they would be nice to rekindle. I anyway. think that'd be cute. Yeah, yeah. but anyways, um, so then she goes to the audition, but lo and behold, Laura, the Enchantress. She the, sings a, 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 a rousing Norse ballad. That it blows everyone away. All these disco people love to hear some traditional Norwegian singing. What's nice here is that she has a kind of um, disco rehearsal outfit version of her 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 usual costume. So yes, you know, a green long sleeved sort of sweatshirt that's deep, like low cut. 
tight leggings and high knee-high boots. Um, but she still keeps the cape and the headdress, but now she's smoking a cigarette. She's barely wearing something different, but yeah, it's great. You know, it's like she's trying to yeah. be low-key. Um, but then, you know, then Dazzler sings and then the problem is, you know, he's having a hard time, uh, deciding the guy with the glasses on his head who has to decide who's going to be the new disco singer. Um, and of course he chooses a mere mortal. It's unbelievable. Dazzler. This is, this is a great one because this is like, you know, this is like the American Idol version of like all the showdowns where... Where some superhero proves that they're actually really great because they overcome someone you'd never think. You know, the implication here almost is that the Enchantress is using like magic to seduce these people, and then Dazzler, through her sheer force of her will and voice, is able to overcome that. Yeah, I mean, she's just a better singer in the end, um, even though for this job, you know. And I think that that it's possible that if the Enchantress wanted a career in singing, um, she would be amazing on Eurovision. You know, yeah, that was just uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And uh, but but Dazzler gets picked, and Dazzler says far out, which is cool. You know, and then the Enchantress says, "Never have I been so humiliated, never." Right. Which I think is so funny because what about all the times you like lost to Thor when you were like trying to take over the world, but losing the singing contest—that's worse. Well, losing to Thor isn't the same humiliation because um, you know that's Thor. Thor lost equal to as Thor, a god, but losing maybe. to Dazzler—that's sure. everybody's humiliation. You know. Um, so there you have it. That's how it all starts off. That's, that's the beginning of the whole phenomenon. Um, well, that actually sort of segues into, I think, what we are going to wrap this episode up by talking about, which is to wrap up this sort of podcast. And mm-hmm. as I was saying before, my first encounter with Dazzler was uh, in the six-player X-Men arcade game uh, where she was a playable character. And... I would go at a, in, I was in kindergarten and I would go to this place called the Greens. It was a mini golf course and arcade near my house. And my dad would take me after school. And I remember going over there one day after school and we were the very first people to arrive mm. that day as mm. they opened. Mm-hmm. And so everything was off mm-hmm. when we got there. Mm-hmm. And then. The guy was like, okay, here you go. And he flipped a switch and all, every single arcade machine in the entire space turned on at once, all together. And it was just this beautiful cacophony of light and sound. And and it, it just was such a formative artistic moment for me. I still remember it. And it's so funny that it had so much to do with light because we're here talking today about Dazzler, mm-hmm. who of course controls light. And now I'm sort of trying to be like a painter or a or an artist, which mm. is, uh, if you're a visual artist, someone who works with light and mm. depicting light and uh, replicating light. And shadow. And shadow. And so um, it's so nice to be talking about Dazzler, who was such a part of my beginning in the world of superheroes on a day when we're sort of ending a chapter in my life around comics a big chapter in my life around comics which is uh this podcast Mm -hmm. i mean this is the thing like we put out a lot of episodes there was a point at which we were really trying to have a kind of format that was around um this kind of encyclopedia of gay characters yeah i think it i think that was fun i Uh, think that was the best 
Yeah. I think the way it's been for the last couple of years, and this is true for every podcast, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, it often takes podcasts a while to get on their feet, both in terms of just the technical side of it, but also, you know, whatever they're trying to get out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I really am glad you pushed the show. Because, you know, when I first called you, like, we should do a podcast about comics. I literally was only thinking of it in terms of, Oh, like I would just like to talk about comics with someone for right. an hour, and here's a format to do it. I don't like want to do anything besides just be like, "Oh, hey, let's talk." Like, right. and then you, of course, were really interested in you know doing these really uh, like deep dive research things sure. into different characters and creating these really beautiful and elaborate um, uh, outlines for each episode, and like reading like you know a hundred issues of comics to find like <laughs> that was the five game moments. Of course, no, and then eventually I be I. You know, that's yeah. what I did with uh, uh, D-Man, too, right, and right, many right. other characters. Eventually, that was me, too. Right. And I'm so glad you pushed it to that level of quality because mm. I do think that, you know, now most of the episodes really do stand up to that test of being a sort of yeah. encyclopedic moment for whoever we're talking about. Yeah, they're standalone. And, and there's some that are really interesting that were, like, essay pieces or, like, more anthology-like, the one about body issues. That's right. We did try to and, to get more topical. Yeah, the topical ones and the, and the one about bisexual shapeshifters. Those were fun though because those were an interesting way to look at use kind of a queer lens to look at uh, representation more broadly. The reason it was fun for me to push it toward the more research based format was so that we could really learn this stuff and we actually now know this material quite well and i think we're ready to to like know that and move on with our lives you know yeah I you're mean, you're painting now i'm i'm making comics and i'm still working in performance and doing a lot of stuff with genre and comics is a great you know superhero comics specifically are a kind of genre you know that i find extremely interesting and i've written about a lot now and you know i'm also ready to kind of uh think about it with some distance (laughs) like not necessarily participate in a constant conversation about it yeah well i think (laughs) i was trying to really consider criticism as an art form which it is and Mm. and a mode of expression sure and i think over the last couple years really maybe just the last since coronavirus started Mm. um i've started to realize that that wasn't quite it and I think mm. you always knew that about yourself, which was that mm. this was a hobby and the real mm-hmm. deal for you was your art practice, right? Oh, sure. And But I do really respect comic book artists and I find them to be like particularly interesting type of uh, art artist, you know? So I actually want that to be a, something I can consider within a fine art context. And Let that's why too. I'm making the work I make and writing the stuff I'm writing to kind of argue for it. Um, and so, you know, it's been, this podcast has been really productive for me. So that I actually know what I'm talking about when I'm trying to bring that in. And, and now I've been teaching and, and you were a guest at my class, um, at Cornell, at Cornell University. You. We both had our Ivy league moment this year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you came into my comics and contemporary art class and, you know, if I hadn't had the podcast, I wouldn't have had that kind of, um, really like durational relationship to this material and and have to take responsibility for what i was saying about it through the podcast so it made me really think through like what what, what's my position on this material you know but one thing i i thought i learned a lot about from teaching the class was that within comics more broadly this is just one genre oh yeah and it uh (laughs) and it has a lot of you know 
it's extremely appealing and interesting to me, but there's a lot of irony in my approach to it that isn't necessarily something that everybody shares. So it can be very, um, superhero comics can be very alienating to a lot of people. And then other people feel they have real ownership over them, you know, and this is a a conflict that we've, we've addressed a number of times in the podcast. Um, but it's something that I think plays out even when you are trying to bring it into a visual art conversation where it could be more critically addressed. And there are those old prejudices. Like I, I did have a meeting with a fairly prominent, uh, art space. Um, and it was, a really interesting conversation but drop they, the name say the name but they um <laughs> they were interesting because the curators are sort of split and one of them really was talking about comics as this especially superhero comics as this kind of lower form sure. you know and to which i was like obviously that's part of what i'm doing oh, is yeah. like a kind of um attempt to, to to make that to complicate that yeah but i also had hoped that people would have thought it through enough to see that those kind of prejudices are sort of um, unfair. Oh, yeah. Well, I had an experience once where Tom Lawson, the dean of the uh, CalArts, uh, School of Art at CalArts, I don't know if he's still over there, but I was the secretary for the art office, and I was reading Catwoman comics. And he came in, and he said, why don't you read something a little more uh, highbrow? <laughs> and he dropped an issue of art art forum on top of what I was reading. He literally dropped it on top of what I was reading, and so I got really mad. And um, maybe he thought you were he was doing you a favor. Yeah, no, I'm sure he did. <laughs> and so then I forced him to read Watchmen, which was like in my mind the thing that Tom Lawson would respect the most. That was a superhero comic, and uh, he really liked it. Okay, uh, <laughs> but let's not talk about Watchmen right now. Let's not talk about all these curators or whatever. I'm so. Um, grateful for this podcast that has given me so much intimacy with all of this stuff. And really, you know, I think a lot about when I'm painting, what I'm doing mm-hmm. is this meditative activity where I'm actually often thinking about the meaning of the image I'm painting, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, it's almost a meditation performance when I'm doing that. And I think this podcast even though it's more in the criticism realm, it functions in a similar way because it's helped me resolve my own feelings about all this very complicated and conflicting and vast and troubling and powerful at times and insignificant at times medium, which is superhero comics. And so I'm just so grateful to you for that, Alex. Thank you, Johnny. I feel the same. And I just want to sort of reiterate what you said by uh, like thinking through how just looking at all of these comics has been such a great gift like whether or not they were good just looking at them was so wonderful they're so beautiful superhero comics it's one of the craziest forms it's all built on the human figure but with all of these design and color elements and it's so queer it's kind of i've probably said this before and it is outrageous to say especially right now but it's one of the few things that makes me proud to be an American, is American <laughs> superhero comics. I really love wow. them. Wow. I never even thought of it in those terms, and I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that, but I will say that I'm it not makes either, me but I happy. know that it's true. But I, you know, okay. I feel like I'm a part of a culture, and there's something in that culture that I like. That's really weird. Okay, because we cannot say at this point that comics are an American No, no, no. Product. I'm talking about American superhero comics. But I'm just saying, like, so, for example, American superhero comics 
in the contemporary moment are drawn mostly by people or often by people who do not live That's in the true. United States of America. That's so true. it's a much more international enterprise. Um, but uh, that said, um, I have a complicated feeling about the way that they are written. <laughs> and I do think that a lot of the time um, what we've spent this this podcast doing is, is uh, picking them apart. Um, but at the same time, I am interested in maybe what I would think of as a kind of um, collective unconscious that the people who have written them have uh, have produced. And it is interesting. I mean, I think part of what happened was when I moved to New York and I'm moving back, um, I got interested in superhero comics again, particularly Marvel. And I think it was because it was sort of based in New York and it was about mythologizing New York. And the it looked like my environment, finally. Like reading them in, in California as a kid, you don't even believe that New York looks like those those you know rectangular. yeah see i feel like i probably had a different relationship with that because yeah. i was pretty close to new york yeah so it was just this like rectangular world that you had like you know and then living living there and seeing spider-man then thinking about all of these people who all these you know jack kirby and stan lee and john ramita and all of these people who kind of built marvel comics most of whom were immigrants uh that there was something really amazing about the kind of melting pot weird idealism of that period that is manifested in that first couple generations of yeah. comics. That's that's what I think I'm also sort of trying to manifest with that outrageous statement I just made. <laughs> yeah, okay. That truly outrageous <laughs> statement. And I will say this other thing. So Greenwich Village in particular features in the 70s comics that uh, that Chris Claremont was writing and sure. John Byrne was drawing and, and uh, Dave Cockrum. And that's the neighborhood I lived in in this last few years. And I feel like that was really a wonderful thing to kind of like spend time thinking about that um, while drawing a comic Were book. they living there when they were writing those books, do you think? I, I guess. I mean, they liked drawing them. And, you know, Stephen Strange, of course, lives they, there. That's, that's who I think of in comics yeah. when you say Greenwich Village. Yeah, yeah, and you can picture that building being there. Of course. Um, it's a perfect fit for the yeah, neighborhood. Yeah, so anyway, um, it was, it's was it been wonderful. And, yeah, and I wouldn't have drawn my own if I hadn't spent this much time studying them. You know, and, and I really do think it is the visual medium that you know it's the visuals in this medium that are the most intriguing to me but um the uh the way that a character can persist across writers is sort of my favorite thing that's kind of the last thing i want to say on comics for this podcast and feel free to think about what your last thing might be right now but you know i think people sometimes are surprised that i'm so interested in superhero comics because of my other artistic interests mm -hmm. which seem uh separate from that you know collaborative performance art um animals ecosystems quakerism but what comics has in common with a lot of those things or what those things are in conversation about is what you're talking about is the collective unconscious that that forms on these characters to the point where they almost write themselves and going back through with all these characters and looking at their queer history, it was also amazing to see that that manifested as well, you know, even when it wasn't the intention of the writer or the artist. And, you know, when you talk about being interested in the drawings, mostly, I mean, you know this and of course, but it's the, those drawings are still telling a story. That's still, that's still part of the storytelling, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so what's great about these characters is that the 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 identity of the artist the identity of of who's in control the the individual artist who's able to have his his genius ideas 
that no one ever thought before disseminated out into the world, that's just obliterated by comics because because all these characters exist as the products of hundreds of people who are also mm. responding to what others have done. And I just, I think that that's what's so special about it is that comics innately recognizes that art is not just about one person, that it's always a collaboration to yeah. a certain point. And I would include in that collaboration, the fans. Of course. And, and I think that's where we kind of came in on this one is just by like saying into the world, these names and sort of trying to get people interested in these characters was a kind of fandom move that's, you know, been going on since people started making zines or, you know, all of these other ways to manifest fandom message boards, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So we just did one of those and, um, it seems like it worked. So <laughs> we're going to, we're going to we, stop. Yes, but I will they, say that on this one last thing about that, the persistence of the characters, I think it's like the fans and the writers together kind of create this weird avatar. And I think that's why we get so, so concerned about them. You know, we want to see this figure that sort of represent certain fantasies of ours yeah. go through it but also you know like a hero rise up or you know persist somehow um and so Iceman now is one of my favorite characters probably i could i'm gonna say that Iceman is my new favorite superhero oh my god because when just because of this conversation because here we had a character who from the beginning had this potential for being a queer character and it was through the character's own sort of development across all of these weird instances that the writers kind of accumulated over time mm -hmm. that he became gay in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even with the characters that, you know, haven't got as much spotlight, like D-Man or Catman, or when we talk about those characters that nobody's ever heard of, it's kind of like, I think what it also appeals to me Estranio. about... Extraño sure. and Bunker. Those two were my favorite. Nobody's um, ever heard of people. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and Obsidian. Great. Uh, you know, it's sort of like what you were saying. You know, now I almost feel like as a fan, I have the power to to fill in the blanks, you know? It's mm -hmm. like leaving things just a little bit out of reach. You know, queer <laughs> you, queerness is always just a little out of reach, right? Fair enough, yeah. And and what these characters is gonna are gonna be is always just out of reach because because they're they're still going. It's just it just goes until capitalism completely collapses. I mean, we had a close call this time, but we made it through. If we have a more effective pandemic, then I don't know because Marvel shut down. It did. <laughs> it did. It like furloughed everybody and shut down at the very beginning of this thing. So there's a possibility we could lose it all. Maybe maybe we do, and that won't be so bad. But I am, I am but it's true. We have humbled to feel like a small entity in a history of art that is so expansive. Power Cosmic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there we have it. All right. Thank you for doing this podcast with me, Alex. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Super K.